0: Amen. Well, thank you so much. If you have your Bibles, be finding Matthew chapter 5. We're going to pause for a few moments this morning on verse 9 as we have worked our way through these Beatitudes. Verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called the sons of God. And we've pointed out that that word for sons is unique in the Greek text and means the mature adult sons of God. The the Christian who has been through the experiences in the first eight verses is... What we would call a mature son of God. And they are able to be peacemakers, not simply peace observers, but they bring peace to a chaotic world. And this God calls us to do, not to simply hide in monasteries or churches. In Matthew 10, Jesus sends his disciples out. But it's not till Matthew 10, because Jesus has a work to do. He has teaching. He brings them through these first experiences given here in the Beatitudes. So that by the time they get to chapter 10, they are ready. And he sends them out to preach. Matthew 10 16, he said, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. That's the way Jesus viewed his society. It was a bunch of wolves. It and it hasn't changed. This is the world system. This is politics. Uh, This is neighborhoods and he sends us as sheep in the midst of wolves. That's an unusual shepherd. So the Christian church must be peacemakers and he's assuming chaos surrounds us. So we shouldn't be surprised that the world acts like the world. The United Nations was formed in 1945 right after World War II. It's hard, to, it's hard for us to imagine such uh, devastation as World War II was. Millions of people, civilians and soldiers, were killed in World War II. 193 nations are members of the United Nations. It's hard to Uh, see such a unity as this but they brought together an organization and their motto is that in 1945 they said we exist so that future generations would be free from the scourge of war. But history shows us since 1945 there has been Nearly 300 major wars in the world. They weren't able to do it and are not able today. Even our own nation since then has known the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the Cold War, the Iraq War. And we're still in Afghanistan today. Paul put it like this. In Romans 3.15, Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. They don't know how to find peace. The church does. We are sent to bring peace into the chaos and discord of our world. It's a miraculous work. Now, let me uh, first of all make a couple of points. Uh, first, is this war can be of God. Uh, first, in 1 first Chronicles 5, Israel made an incursion against the Hagrites. Probably never heard of the Hagrites. But Israel went in to attack them and take their land. And it says in 1 Chronicles 5:22, many of them fail, the Hagrites, because the war was of God. The war was of God. God sent Israel in as a judgment on the Hagrites. Who's ever heard of them today? They were removed. They were dispersed. They were conquered. And Proverbs 16 and 7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he will make even his enemies to be at peace with him. Sometimes we, we need to, to just step back from trying to seek peace and seek the Lord and ask God to make our enemies to be at peace. Another thing uh, that I was thinking of in this regard was uh, fighting also comes from man's fallen nature. In James 4, verse 1 and 2, James writes, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war with you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Here, James says the problem with many of of our quarrels and fusses and fights is because we want what we can't have. And we could pray about it. We could ask God for it, and He doesn't give it to us, so we try to take it. And it creates a conflict. I've got a couple of neighbors who come down and work for me a lot of times during the summer. And and they're brothers. And so sometimes I don't have change, so I I just pay one of them to divide it. And (laughs) some time ago, they both came in and did the work. And the younger brother took off. Once I paid him, I said, here, now you divide this with your other brother." And once he got the money, he took off. He didn't even stay and do the work. And so now what do you think is going to happen when they get together that night? One brother is going to have some things to say. See, the fusses, that's the quarrels. He says, says, where does the fights come from? You want something, so you kill, you covet, you cannot obtain it, you fight, you quarrel, but you have not because you ask not. Prayer is the solution to fussing. In My uh, church in Texas, when I first went there, I was in my 20s. I, I was fairly naive, much like I am today. And I went there with high hopes and great dreams and within a few weeks or months there was conflict and it all boiled down to a previous pastor had stayed in the congregation. and I think he wanted the church back because he went around creating chaos and discontent, and I didn't know what to do about it. So I went to one of my professors known uh, as a godly man. I was attending the seminary there in Fort Worth, and his his name was Jack Gray, and I said, uh, Dr. Gray, I've got a man who's a former pastor, and he is really a problem. I don't know what to do. What should I do? And he said, he took me by the hand, he said, let's kneel. And we just knelt, and Dr. Gray prayed this short prayer. He said, Lord, reviving this, talk about this guy. He said, reviving or removing, amen. I was like, wow, can you do that? That week, that week, this former pastor had a stroke. Went into the hospital, uh, came out of the hospital, but was homebound and never came back to church. And it was peace from then on. I thought, man, you can pray. You don't have to fight. You know what? And and as a father, I remembered that uh, when my daughter started dating. There are some of them I said, Lord, revive them or remove them. None of the ones we have that are presently my son-in-laws. Let me add that quickly. But you can pray, God, step in. You fight less if you pray more. Now, there are some things that cause strife. And there are some things that make peace. So let me just take the rest of my time here and point out three or four things that cause strife. One, and and I just finished reading Proverbs. So Proverbs is the book of wisdom. So here's some things that I jotted down that I found causes strife. One is a scoffer, Proverbs 22, 10. If you drive out a scoffer, strife will go out and quarreling will cease. A scoffer is like an arrogant, opinionated, cynical individual whose only opinion that counts is his. And he said, there are some people like that, one person. If you drive that scoffer out, get rid of the dude. Um, find a church closer home. <laughs> and uh, a man said to me, who I, I thought was kind of a troublemaker one time, he said, you know, the, I complain a lot because the squeaky wheel gets gets the grease. And uh, I thought about that later. And because somebody said, yeah, and the squeaky wheel also gets removed. And sure enough, he was removed. I didn't do it. God did it. But if you, but Proverbs 22.10, drive out a scoffer. Strife will cease. Another thing that causes strife in the book of Proverbs is your temper. Hot-tempered people. Proverbs 15 and 18 a hot tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. if you're slow to anger but somebody they got people or some people with a chip on their shoulder they're very touchy and a hot tempered man stirs up strife and and so what proverbs adds to that proverbs twenty two twenty four is He says, so make no friendship with a man given to anger or go with a wrathful man because you will learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. He said, don't even make friends with these people. Don't hang around them because their hot temper will rub off on you and their ways, their reactions will be an example to you. And so that's, he said, so just stay away from them. Causes strife, hot temper, hot uh, chip on your shoulder, fight at the drop of a hat, easy to offend. A third thing that causes strife is gossip. Proverbs 23:29, or Proverbs 26:20, 20, "For a lack of wood, the fire will go out." But where there's a whisperer, quarreling will cease. You know, there tends to be a whisperer. You know, you say something to somebody, maybe exaggerate it or dramatize it. It's putting fuel on the fire. So Proverbs twenty six twenty says, for a lack of wood, the fire will go out. If you quit gossiping about it, if you quit whispering about it, the fire will die down. Conflict, strife is like a fire. So don't put wood on it. A fourth cause of strife in Proverbs is heavy drinking. Proverbs 23 29, he says, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who is this that has sorrow and strife and complaining, wounds without cause? He says, those who tarry long over the wine. They're heavy drinkers. And drinking can make you irritable, lower inhibitions, and reduce verbal skills. Heavy drinking will really reduce the verbal skills. I came across this statistic some time ago 50% of all homicides were linked to drinking, heavy drinking. 50%. And who hasn't heard of some athlete or movie star, in a barroom brawl. Those two words go together. Barroom brawl. Heavy drinking. He says, who has sorrow? Who has strife? Those who tarry long over the wine. All right, let's go to some things that make for peace in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs. One is your answer, your response to something. Give me that one up. Speaking softly, Proverbs 15 and 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. It's harsh. You can always tell when you have begun to leave the book of Proverbs and the wisdom because in a discussion, your volume begins to rise. <laughs> now, in Proverbs, you turn down the volume. You don't mean to shout when somebody's standing three feet away. This is peacemaking from the book of Proverbs. And, uh, and let me add this. It's not just the volume... But notice what he says. This is Proverbs 16 and 23. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious. that is, thoughtful. And adds persuasion to his lips. In other words, don't just accuse and debate and argue. Give some facts, quietly. Give some good arguments. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasion to his lips. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, health to the body. When you leave the conversation, that person should have been healthier than when the conversation began. The persuasion, the sweetness, the grace. Um and one, these aren't, I don't think I have these on the screen, but <clears throat> there's one other one here I wanted to give to you. Proverbs 27, 14. Proverbs twenty-seven fourteen says, Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice early in the morning will be counted as a curse. You show up at your neighbor's house, 5 a.m., you bang on the door and they stumble to the door and open it. What? And you say, God bless you. (laughs) They're going to count that as a curse. They don't need a sermon at 5 a.m. So Proverbs says, look, be careful. Think before you speak. Words create a world. By the way you are uh, words uh, we think of words as means of communication but originally words in Genesis 1 were means of creation you're creating an environment you're creating a destiny with your children you're creating a future and a and a joy or not in your marriage when you speak. Remember, primarily, to be made in the image of God, words are to create, secondarily to communicate. So in Proverbs, speaking softly, speaking at the right time, and speaking with arguments, facts, Persuasively, So things that make for peace, how you answer. And then another thing that makes for peace, I noticed in Proverbs, was stopping the conflict before it begins, before it reaches the stage of strife. Proverbs 17, 14. The beginning of strife is like the letting out of water. So quit before the coral breaks out. It's like if you can envision a dam and a break is in that dam. Water starts flowing through. It won't be long till the whole thing collapses and the area will be flooded with the, what was once dammed up water. So he says the beginning of strife is like letting out water. So stop it before the coral breaks out. Learn to stop. Be quiet. Let them vent. And you stay out of it. You absorb it. And he says, but he says a harsh word in return will stir up anger. Proverbs 18.6 a fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth will invite a beating i've been in two fist fights not recently but in high school one was at a ball game and the other was in the hallway of my school I got beat severely in the first one. So in the second one, I made sure I was in the hallway at the door so the teacher could come out and break it up. For some reason, she decided not to, and I got beat again. That was my last fist fight when I was in high school. I don't intend to engage in fisticuffs ever again. I'm not good at it fact, I'm bad at it. And here's what he says. Stop a fool's lips, walk into a fight. You've heard, you've seen this. You know, some uh, egotistical guy, he will say to another guy who's offended him, honked at him or something, and he'll say, hey, you want a piece of this? You know what I mean when I say he walks, he invites a beating. So, stop Proverbs says stay away from that kind of stuff because it it doesn't end well. Number three, uh, what else brings peace, causes peace, is having your disagreement in private. Proverbs 25, 9, argue your case with your neighbor himself and do not reveal another secret. In other words, get alone with them. Talk it out. Alone. And then don't go and tell everybody what was said. Let me read it again. Argue your case with your neighbor himself. Do not reveal another secret. So here is the privacy issue. Jesus repeated this in Matthew 18 when he said, If you have a falling out with a brother, then go to that brother in private, you and him alone. And by the way, this is this is a good way, a good principle for disciplining children. Don't discipline your children in front of everybody. You, you need to calmly take them, deliberately remove them from the setting, get them alone, hold them, explain to them what's going on, why you're displeased, and then implement your discipline. Privacy. One final thing in Proverbs. He says, Proverbs 25, 8, do not hastily go to court. Try to stay out of the courts. For what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? In other words, you might lose. And it would be an issue that would be hardened for many years to come. God's people do not need a lost man, even if he's a judge, to arbitrate their issues. God's people can let Jesus Christ be the judge. There is a way to pray, to talk, to decide, to arbitrate, without lost people making decisions for God's people. So do not hastily take it into court, for what will you do if your neighbor wins? So there's principles of wisdom in making peace. One of the things I came away with in meditating on these Proverbs is that in our society today we we tend to push rights. I have a right to this or that. But in Proverbs he pushes wisdom. Not my rights but God's wisdom is is the principle of peacemaking. I was thinking about this years ago Uh, when I was in Texas and we, were, we had the conflict there and uh, you know I have a right to this as I have a right to respect I have a right to certain things and I came to a red light there in Fort Worth, Texas and I was sitting there at the red light and then it turned green I had a right to go forward But then I noticed, even though my light was green, I noticed a dump truck full of gravel barreling through the red light. And I thought, I put my brakes on, and I thought, I have a right to go. But if I insist on my rights, I'm going to be splattered all over the sidewalk. Wisdom says, don't do it. This is not good. (laughs) God doesn't just call us to be right. He calls us to be wise. And some decisions made out of wisdom will save you tragedies. Sometimes we just need to give up our rights so that we can impose God's wisdom. I want to give you this, and, and then I'm done this morning. But Some months ago, I was reading in Revelation, and I came across this verse in Revelation 4, 6, where John had a vision of God's throne. It's like the curtain was opened, and he had a vision of God sitting on his throne. And it says in Revelation 4, 6 that before the Lord was a sea of glass. And I was thinking about that. What's the significance there? If you've ever seen a sea, an ocean, or even a lake, you know that there's always some kind of disturbance. There's always waves hitting the shoreline. That there's never a perfect calm. But in heaven, before God, as far as you can see, is perfect calm. Perfect peace. So when you go into God's presence, you will be immersed in that peace that is before his throne peace of God. That's that's what was in our verse earlier. And the God of peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. So when you worship, when you pray, when you go into His presence, you're going into perfect peace as you access heaven by the Holy Spirit. May God make us give to us not only peace, but Make us peace makers, peace bringers into a chaotic world. Amen. Ushers, if you'll come and let's worship with tithes and offerings today, we'll conclude our service with our worship in song and in giving. Bow with me for prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray for the kind of peace that only heaven knows, the kind of poise and calm that can only come from God. Grant us, Holy Spirit, even if in measure, grant us this peace. And then help us to take it to a world that's full of of discord and chaos. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.